Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So happy to have you join me today. And on this episode, I had the honor of interviewing Dr. Lars Engebretsen. And this interview was on behalf of the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy. It was done live on their Facebook page a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to see the version with video, you can head over to their Facebook page that the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy. And it was an honor to interview Dr. Engebretsen. He is a professor and consultant at the Orthopedic Clinic University of Oslo Medical School and professor and co-chair of the Oslo Sports Trauma Research Center. He is also a consultant and former chief doctor for the Norwegian Federation of Sports and headed the medical service at the Norwegian Olympic Center until autumn of 2011. In 2007, he was appointed head of science and research for the International Olympic Committee. He is a specialist in orthopedic and general surgery and authorized as sports medicine physician by the Norwegian Society of Sports Medicine. He serves as chief team physician for Norwegian Olympic teams. The main area of research is resurfacing technique of cartilage injuries combined and complex knee ligament injuries and prevention of techniques of sports injuries. He is currently the president of ESCA, which is the European Society of Sports Traumatology, Knee Surgery, and Arthroscopy. He is the associate editor and editor-in-chief for the new IOC BJSM journal, Injury Prevention and Health Protection. In addition, he serves on several major sports journal editorial boards and has published more than 200 papers and book chapters. I know. Where does, where does he find the time? I have no idea. In this episode, we discuss his career shift from being reactive to proactive in injury treatment, the importance of a team approach for injury prevention in sport, programs that focus on translating injury prevention research to coaches and trainers, how to develop your research, por- your research portfolio, and what he's looking forward to at the Third World Congress of Sports Physical Therapy, which will be in Vancouver, Canada, October 4th and 5th. So if you have not yet gotten your ticket to go, I suggest you head over there. You can click on the website by going to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, get your tickets, see all the speakers. This, because it was live, I'm not going to really edit any of it because you can also go over to the Facebook page to watch the video. So everyone enjoy this episode. A huge thanks to everyone at Third World Sports uh, Physical Therapy Conference for allowing me to do this and to Dr. Egebretsen for uh, coming onto the program. As you know, we've been doing live interviews with speakers from the Third World Congress on Sports Physical Therapy. And for those of you who, if you're on this page, I hope you know when it's going to be, but it's October 4th and 5th in Vancouver, Canada. And today I have the distinct pleasure and honor to be talking with Professor Lars Engebrusten. So Professor, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. And as we said before, I've been practicing that name for for at least a week. So, all right. Um, Now, (laughs) So, uh, Chris Napier, welcome. 
we said welcome uh, to you. Uh, thanks, Chris, for being on. It's a little bit early there over in Vancouver. Um, so, Professor, before we get started, can you please tell the audience and tell us a little bit more about you, your career trajectory, and what you're up to? Yeah, I'm a professor at the University of Oslo, Department of Deep Surgery. And then I work um, at the Olympic Center of Norway, uh, getting gold medals for Norway. Mm -hmm. um, then I do work at the Oslo Sport Trauma Research Center, which I run together with Roald Barr. And then I am uh, professor at the, uh, at the medical school, and I work every other week for a couple of days in Lausanne, Switzerland, for the International Olympic Committee. So I'm a I have a very good combination of clinical practice. I still operate and I see patients quite a bit every week. And uh, research, I have many PhDs working on projects that are, uh, uh, I would say, coordinated by myself. That's an amazing amount of work to do. It's like five jobs all rolled into one. And I'm sure, although this is not what we're going to be talking about today, but maybe another time we'll have you talk about your time management skills. I'm exactly how you get all of that done because that's an amazing amount of, of work to fit in. Um, but let's dive right into, since you just mentioned that you're still doing clinical work and research. So how being that clinician scientist, how important is that to merge your clinical work with your research work? Well, you know, I think I um, found out very early in my career in orthopedics how important uh, research is. I was actually, I usually tell this story, I was doing a clinic as a resident uh, up in Trondheim where I did my residency. And next door to me was one of the professors and I had uh, many patients with anterior knee pain. Uh, and uh, I would ask him, um, what do you actually do with those patients? Because uh, they, they you know, seem a little bit strange now and then. And he said, I operate on all of them. So I said, yeah, what kind of operation do you actually do? And then he said, you see, I do a McKay operation. McKay operation is like um, elevating the tibial tubercle to reduce the load on the uh, patellocyte. And I said, oh, that's strange. How are they doing? And he said, oh, they all do very well. And then I actually looked up uh, 50 of those patients uh, in the hospital. And uh, sure enough, about one third did pretty well. One third was about the same and one third was much worse. Then I realized, you know, we can't really trust the old professors. You have to, uh, in areas where there are some doubts here and there and what to do, you have to do research in those areas. There's no way you can be a clinician in a university clinic without um, doing that kind of research. So since that time, which was a long, long time ago, I've actually been doing all kinds of both clinical and basic science research. And how, I guess, how does one inform the other? So how does clinical inform research and research inform clinical for you? Well, for me, it's been like, you know, I see patients, I follow uh, various teams, I've done all kinds of soccer teams, handball teams, ice hockey teams, and so forth. I see the issues, uh, what kind of problems the patients have, and I see what we have to uh, give them in the, in the form of uh, various therapies or various surgeries. And I realized that 
the uh, aren't really perfect that there is a lot of uh, research that remains to be done actually so that's the general in general speaking the way uh, i found out that uh, this is something i have to do and um, uh, when i was young i was doing all kinds of sport myself and i also realized that uh, you know when you got injured it really we really didn't have that much of uh, armamentarium for uh, getting people back and that was a long long time ago and now we're better we are getting better but um, uh, we still have a way to go. So the last, uh, I would say, uh, 30 years, I've been working on uh, three different uh, research areas. So I've been working on uh, cartilage issues, uh, ligament issues, and then later on, then on prevention of injuries issues. And, you know, since you mentioned the uh, prevent injury prevention issues, let's dive right into that now. So um, you've been involved in conducting a number of studies regarding uh, sports injury prevention. So what would you say are some of the common misconceptions around injury prevention? Well, it's very difficult to get people uh, really interested in that area because, you know, it doesn't really pay much. Uh, at least uh, on an individual basis, uh, it does pay back to society because you get less injuries by doing it. But uh, to the individual doctor or physio, uh, it is difficult to uh, because of the payment uh, uh, schedule in these cases. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, in my case, it was actually one specific athlete uh, who uh, made me change my attitude to this. So I was doing uh, all kinds of basic science uh, and also clinical studies in uh, ligaments and, uh, and uh, tendons. And then uh, it was Simon and they are very good. They were supposed to win the gold medal actually in Sydney. The star player had an ACL eight months ahead of time and uh, which was a major issue of course. Uh, and we operated on her and it was successful and she came back but Nora did not win a gold medal only a bronze medal and she didn't really perform the way she was supposed to and I realized then actually um, that you know what we were doing was not really that great I realized that she was uh, on track for getting osteoarthritis pretty early after the surgery and I realized that all my efforts in, uh, you know, ligament uh, design and uh, new ways of doing the surgery and stuff wasn't that great because I thought, you know, I should spend more time on dealing with how can I prevent these type of injuries at the same time as I treat them later on. But I kind of refocused towards uh, prevention of these injuries after that uh, incident. And, you know, based Oops. on your... Oh, can you hear me? You disappeared. I disappeared. Can you? I can still see you and hear you. Let's see. This happened last time too. Let's see. He'll come back on. Sorry, everybody. Can you see me? There you go. I can see oh, you. You know, this happened last time too. Technology. Um, so, getting back to uh, this injury prevention. Um, so based on our current knowledge of injury prevention in sport, 
what would be your recommendation or go-to strategy or intervention for injury prevention? So for example, is it exercise? Is it load management? Is it education? It's a loaded question. Yeah, no, it's, it's okay. It's, I, I, the most important thing is to look upon this as a team effort. There's no way you as one person uh, will be able to make a huge difference in this area. Because uh, prevention deals with all the aspects that you mentioned. Um, and therefore, you know, in our case, in our Oslo Sports Trauma Research uh, Center, we are uh, quite a few people working in this field. And there's no way that not one of us could make a big difference. It's all about a team effort. Um, because uh, you have to, uh, first of all, you have to do research to figure out whether your program is working. Secondly, you have to make people do it. And third, you have to look at the results of it. And um, uh, that really uh, demands uh, manpower, budgets, and uh, long-term uh, studies in, the, in, in this event. Um, most of the, we've done a lot, lot of randomized control studies uh, showing the effect of these programs, but we still don't have may uh, don't have perfect compliance, you know. Um, and uh, what we have found out lately is that uh, this is we probably we are changing our approach a little bit towards. Uh, Instead of uh, you know trying to uh, travel around and um, uh, give lectures on this to athletes and stuff, we actually try to teach the coaches in Norway anyway. Uh, the coach uh, educational programs are now filled with uh, this um, uh, prevention uh, programs that we have. So it's all about I think parents and coaches more so than uh, uh, than the. Uh, uh, doctor or the physios doing it. So we have to be able to relate all the knowledge we have and to be able to implement it. And that is the big, biggest challenge at the moment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and because we it, changing people's behaviors is not easy. It's not. But, you know, um, at least where I live, and I'm sure also in the U.S., uh, we have been able to stop uh, people from smoking. Yeah, very very few smokers left here, so we should be able to uh, you know instigate the system where uh, if you are young and you're doing a sport, part of your sport is uh, the prevention part. Yeah, and and I think that that's a great example that yes, yeah, smoking. When I first moved to New York City, so many people smoke. Now it's a rarity, mainly because of good outreach campaigns uh, via media and things like that. And sometimes I think that's where uh, injury prevention and sports injury prevention is just not getting its fair airtime, I guess, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at, at mainstream media and news and things like that, they focus on the injury. So the professional player who gets injured or the collegiate player that gets injured, this is the injury, this is the surgery versus Look at all the people who haven't gotten injured, and, and why is that? Yeah, you know, there are some good examples. Uh, for example, hamstring injuries, uh, we have a pretty good way of uh, reducing, the, reducing those by maybe as much as 75%. 
And even in uh, the Premier League in England, the best, uh, very best teams do not really do those exercises. And it's really, really crazy because the number one injury keeping people out of Premier League soccer is actually hamstrings at the moment. So it's a very strange thing that we're not able to. Uh, and I think that's all about, you know, the coaches being involved and understanding how important this is. Yeah. And what are, are you doing things in Norway? Um, I know you said that now you're getting more coaches to come to lectures and things like that. So if there are people listening from other parts of the world, what sort of system are you using to get those coaches in? Well, there, you know, every country on the, on the uh, well, almost every country has some sort of co coaches education. And it's like level one, two, and three, and so forth. And uh, now we have introduced um, prevention programs in all those levels. Uh, so that actually part of their uh, sort of daily education is about prevention. And I think that's uh, a must and a key in this area. Uh, so we, are, we have shown that we are able to reduce the number of serious knee injuries, for example, by more than 50% in some sports that are really prone to those type of injuries. Uh, team handball is a very good example. Uh, basketball could be another one. Um, so I think that education there is very, very important. But as I said, uh, we are trying out new ways of uh, getting compliance to improve because that's still an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can have a great injury prevention program, but if nobody does it... Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, what we're trying to do is to uh, teach the parents a little bit that um, if you have a daughter... 12, 13, 14 year old and if she plays soccer or team handball, the chances of having a serious knee injury is very high. And you can really uh, um, take out insurance by doing uh, these kind of exercises at the same time that you are training. So maybe spend 10, 15 minutes three times a week on this. That would be able to reduce the uh, uh, percentage risk for having an injury like that. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, from the standpoint of the clinician and the researcher, it just makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. uh, we just have to get the coaches and the players and the parents and team organizations and schools and things like that on board. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that takes time and some effort and and the incentives. And I think I think like in the U.S., uh, you have in one sense a much better uh, status because you have all the sports in schools. Right. Whereas in the rest of the world, uh, for the most part, the, school, the sports are outside schools and in community teams and stuff like that, where it is a little bit more difficult to uh, get this through. So th there should be good chances in the U.S. And, and Canada as well. All right. Well, hopefully people listening to this will kind of take this to heart and go to their local high schools and middle schools and, and try and educate those coaches and parents. All right, now, you already touched upon this, I think, as the um, a particular patient case that uh, you personally treated that caused you to reevaluate your whole treatment paradigms. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like you touched upon that a little bit already. Do you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, in a sense that uh, for me personally, it really changed me from, you know, doing surgery four times a week, four days a week, uh, um, to uh, spending more uh, 
uh, work in a research lab trying to design uh, uh, exercises uh, to help in preventing these kind of injuries. We have done a lot of work on uh, looking at why are they happening and how are they happening. And our team here in Oslo has relatively good knowledge in this area, and that has helped us in designing programs. It's taken a long time and uh, takes you away from the OR and into a different environment. And that, that has really uh, uh, put a major change in my uh, uh, medical activities. Mm -hmm. And are you happy with that change? Like, I am. Like a I good am. Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I know still. Uh, I'm going to a meeting, for example, now in a couple of weeks, and I'm preparing for it in Pittsburgh on the ACL, various mm -hmm. kinds of ACL issues, and that just tells you here all the um, uh, experts from around the world is attending, and still the same question comes up and again, uh, and uh, uh, there hasn't been a huge development, I would say when it comes to serious knee injuries in the results of uh, the treatment we have. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, uh, the area that I'm interested in, this prevention area, probably have still, uh, uh, still a lot to contribute to the field uh, because the orthopedic surgeons haven't really caught on, mm -hmm. at least not, not not on the uh, not on the majority of them, I would say in this. Even though if you guys have done it, the physios have done it, uh, but the, the big students is still lagging behind a little bit. Yeah, and it's to to me what it sounds like I'm hearing from you is it sort of forced you to be instead of a reactive doctor, a more proactive physician. Absolutely, right. yeah, that's a good point, uh, and you know that's a difficult change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially because I'm, you had a lot of training, um, but it's still—I mean, it's still all medicine, and in the end, it's helping the patient, which is the most important thing. That's why why we do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right, so. Uh, as we said in the beginning, you're also a researcher. You have an impressive publication record, hundreds of peer-reviewed articles. So if you kind of take a look back at all of those articles that you published, um, which one of your research projects or papers was most meaningful to you? So maybe it doesn't have the highest altmetric score, um, but <laughs> which one to you was like most meaningful? Uh, for me, that's very difficult to say, actually, because, you know, I have, uh, not because I have so many, but more so because I have various fields that I've been very heavily involved in. Uh, there were some really uh, important ones in the beginning when I, when I was working in the lab and then taking lab or to uh, the OR. But I think that um, uh, overall, the most important one is probably the one we did on um, prevention of ACL injuries in team handball in Norway, where we followed uh, this for 10 years. And we could see that, you know, when we went in there actively, uh, we were able to reduce the number of injuries. And then we kind of stepped out and let the players do it themselves, went back up. 
all the injuries. And then we really uh, reinforced our efforts. And all of a sudden, we were able to really reduce the number of injuries again. It just shows us that if you really um, have uh, put your uh, mind to it, you can really achieve something. So that's probably the most important uh, paper that we have come up with. But again, you know, this is all about a team group, a team thing. Uh, it's not something that I've done myself. I, I just part of the whole, yeah, I've been part of a whole team. Yeah. So I think that's probably the most important one. Nice. And then what advice would you have for young researchers who are trying to develop their publication portfolio? Yeah, I keep telling, uh, you know, my co-workers in the hospital at, at the university that um, uh, although uh, it is great to have patients and to treat them and see that they're doing fine, um, still, if you've been doing that for uh, 10 years, you kind of get bored after a while if you don't really progress and uh, develop yourself. So you have to be able to do some sort of research during your clinical uh, work as well. Uh, I'm really trying to uh, tell them some examples here and there, why I did this and that. Um, and uh, it is absolutely possible to combine uh, a busy clinical practice with um, uh, some sort of research, at least if you're able to uh, work as a team. So you should always, you know, have other orthopedic surgeons or in my, ca my case, uh, physios and trainers that you work with, uh, which will um, enable you to do uh, much more uh, than you can do only by yourself. Uh, I think the whole, the most important advice is to, you know, if you look at your 10 lost patients and you see, and you really look, take a close look at them, uh, then you realize that, you know, there are many things you don't really know. So there are many things that needs to re be researched. Mm -hmm. I had I had one young person come up to me a while ago saying that he was uh, discouraged because there's nothing more left to research. And you know, that is so wrong because- Everything's so been done? <laughs> everything has been, yeah, that's what he said. You guys have done so much, so everything has been done. And you know, that is absolutely wrong. Uh, there's so much left to do. So yeah. there's there's work for everyone. Yeah, I would, I would think there would be. And now let's talk about what you're gonna be speaking about at the Third World Congress on Sports Physical Therapy. So can you give us a little sneak peek as to what you're gonna be speaking about? Yeah, I see from the program that I'm going to talk about uh, ACL or cruciate ligament injuries and uh, surgical treatment versus non-surgical treatment. Um, and that's something that we have been working on for a while in Norway and also with other groups around the world, actually, uh, where we have lots of research We've been showing that uh, uh, in Norway, we actually do about 50% of our ACL patients are having ACL surgery. The reason is that, uh, you know, um, people that are not doing pivoting activities or pivoting sports, they are um, completely able to uh, uh, continue what they're doing uh, without having a reconstruction, things like that. The key there is, of course, uh, uh, range of motion, proprioception, strength, and uh, if you are able to do that, then you can uh, do well without having an ACL reconstruction. 
And even if you uh, uh, have an ACL reconstruction, if you don't do those kind of rehab, uh, you'll never be successful. Uh, so that's probably what I would be talking about. And some of the results that we have from our area in the world. Sounds great. I look forward to it. Um, and I think it is amazing that it's only 50% of people in Norway. I feel like in the U.S. it's much higher. You probably know the figures better than I do. But just from an anecdotal standpoint, it seems like the moment someone has an ACL tear, they're having surgery regardless. Yeah, the, you know, the point is nobody knows that in the U.S. Because you don't really, you know, have the numbers on people uh, not having um, uh, ACL injuries. Oh, okay. It's very interesting because I've been working with China actually on uh, developing an ACL uh, program for them. And, you know, they have thousands of ACL injuries, but they have no clue uh, on how many actually, because they think they have most of the injuries in China is not really being operated on, at least not, not until now. Yeah. But you are right in your uh, part of the world, if you have an ACL injury, uh, you will be operated on automatically almost. And the same goes for uh, Central Southern Europe. It's the same thing. In Scandinavia, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway, um, we're tending to operate only on the ones with the pivoting work mm -hmm. or pivoting sports. Uh, and uh, the rest um, uh, we don't do. So in Norway, we have about 4,000 ACLs a year. You know, we are 5 million people, 4,000 ACLs, 2,000 are seeing surgery. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens as time goes on and people start to realize that maybe there are some other options. But I'm definitely looking forward to that talk in Vancouver. And is there any, are there any talks that you're looking forward to or people you're looking forward to seeing? Yeah, you know, I uh, I look forward to see some of the PT work on the new ways of uh, getting people uh, proprioceptively sound, new mm -hmm. ways of uh, testing people for return to sport, things like that. That is really something that interests me. Awesome. Well, I have to say I want to thank you so much for taking time out today. Is there anything we didn't cover that you have like a burning desire to talk about before we end? No, I look forward to come to Vancouver. It's a wonderful city. I was there during the Olympic Games uh, in uh, in Vancouver uh, and uh, was up at Whistler and also down in Vancouver. And it was a beautiful area. So I look forward to see that again. Yeah, me too. The only time I've been to Vancouver was when I went to Whistler to ski. Yeah. So I was only in Vancouver for as long as it took me to get off the plane, get into a car and drive up to Whistler. So I'm definitely looking forward to spending a little more time there. Um, but thank you, Professor, so much for taking the time out and speaking to everyone and Chris and everyone else that's watching. And Mario gave a thumbs up, Mario Bazzini. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning in. And hopefully we will see you all in Vancouver uh, October 4th and 5th. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.